0: All righty, all righty. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be back in 1 John chapter 4 today. We're trying to wrap up this series that we've been doing in the book of 1 John, and uh, today we get to chapter 4. Um, as we walk in this world, guys, there's, there's uh, a lot of distractions. There's a lot of things that would call us aside, and um, far too many Christians today kind of see Satan as just this uh, inconvenience instead of the enemy that God says that he is. They see Satan as being a maybe a benign, harmless harasser instead of a formidable foe that stands against all things that are holy. Uh, Some folks just see Satan as this disturbed soul instead of a dangerous demonic deceiver. And when we get into this study here in, in 1 John chapter 4, John is going to warn us, as the rest of Scripture does, that we Have an enemy that is set out to destroy us, to distract us, to deceive us, and to turn us away from the truth of God's Word. And the the truth of God's Word is this that Satan is real. Um, We don't need to be afraid of Satan, but we do need to be aware of Satan. He is real. He possesses a tremendous power uh, to deceive, uh, especially those who are his followers. Uh, He is the enemy of all things that are holy and righteous, especially those who strive. To walk with God, Satan comes alongside of us and tries to deceive. The Bible says that in the end times, the deceptions will grow so great that even if he could deceive the that he would he would deceive even the elect if he were able to. Satan is uh, is a formidable foe. And part of what John was facing as he was writing this letter to the church that he loved was that there were false prophets who had come in, empowered by Satan, to deceive and try to pick off, if you will, or to pull away those who uh, either were brand new in their faith or those who uh, maybe had not even begun a faith in the Lord yet. Uh, we are not to live in a paralyzing fear of Satan, but we are called to live in a full awareness of who he is and of his tactics and of the ways that he seeks to uh, deceive us and to destroy us. Uh, He has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Uh, He comes to deceive and disable and to try to destroy as many people as he can. Uh, And one of the ways that Satan does that is through false prophets and through false teaching that that is not of God's Word. Men that share things that sound biblical but are not biblical. Men that teach things that would uh, minimize who Jesus is and take away from the work that he did on the cross for us. And so uh, John comes to warn his readers that they need to uh, be discerning, that they need to test each spirit that speaks and teaches and make sure that those spirits are from the Lord. I would encourage you to do that every single time you approach God's word, whether you're listening to someone on the radio or television, or whether you're sitting here listening to one of us as we share God's word. That's why it's so critical that uh, you bring your Bibles. Follow along and make sure that what we're saying lines up with Scripture, and that we're not taking things out of context, that we're not twisting God's Word to say things that it doesn't say, but to bring it back again and again. I want to begin today just by reminding you of of who this enemy is, that that, that fuels these false prophets, that fuels the, pro- the false teachings, that twist and distorts God's Word. I, I want to take you back just to a few scriptures that remind us very vividly of, of the enemy that we are uh, up against. In 1 uh, in Peter, uh, Peter, as a pastor of the flock of, of God, is reminding his people uh, of who their enemy is. In First Peter chapter 5, verses uh, 6 through 11, listen to what he says. He says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all of your anxieties upon him, because he cares for you. But be sober-minded, be watchful, for you have an adversary, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world." And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And to him be all dominion forever and ever. Amen. He describes our enemy as this roaring lion, seeking those whom he can devour. There's a million ways that Satan would seek to devour uh, people in this world, whether they are young believers or even uh, established believers. He would seek to, to distract uh, from the truth of God's Word and to kind of derail people's faith. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we're also reminded of some, uh, of some counterfeits that we are to avoid. So 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verses 3 and 4 uh, this is what he says there. He says, but I'm afraid, and, and this is Paul again writing to his church that he is a pastor of. He said, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, that your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus other than the one we've proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one that you've received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you've accepted, you seem to put up with it readily, he says. He says, and so he's warning them against this deception that comes. There's three things here that he says that are, that are counterfeits that Satan uses to, um, to, to mislead believers. He says there's a, a diminished view of Christ. And so anytime you hear someone come that wants to downplay who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do and the salvation that Christ came to provide us, if you hear them downplaying or diminishing Christ, there ought to be a red flag that goes up. The second thing he says, if they preach a different spirit other than the one you've received, What are you talking about there? Well, there's some people that say, well, I just believe that God's Spirit told me. And then they'll lay something out that's completely foreign to Scripture. Understand this, the Holy Spirit never speaks in contradiction to God's Word. So when people come to you and say, well, I just feel, or I just feel in my spirit that, and they say something that is contrary to what God's Word would say, you and I can say, that's not the Spirit of God speaking. So if they diminish Christ, or they, 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 they claim that something comes from the Spirit of God that's not lining up with God's Word, or they preach to you a different gospel from the one that we've heard, the gospel that says that salvation is by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, if they bring that message that's different than that, then there should be a red flag that goes off in our mind to say, this is not of the Spirit of God. This is not from God. So he warns us about how that Satan will use false messages that diminish Christ, that, that, that claim something that's contrary to Scripture, or that, that present a gospel that's different than what God has given to us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, just a few verses later, verses 13 to 15, he also talks about how Satan works. And, and in verse 13... Uh, Look what he says here. He says, For such men that come preaching these things are false apostles. They're deceitful workmen. They disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. You ever thought about that? that satan comes and disguises himself he wants to buddy up and cozy up with you and make you think that he has your best interest at heart but that's not who satan is he is that deceiver and 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 and, and he comes and disguises himself and so do those who are his servants doing his work and so we see in this in this uh, in these passages that we've looked at and there's many many more that scripture points out, that shows us that this enemy that we have comes and he is so sly and so deceptive to try to just take a little bit of the gospel away and make it less than what it's supposed to be. And he says that we are called now to test and examine ourselves. In Second Corinthians, uh, chapter 13, uh, we are told that we need to, to be careful that, uh, that what we believe and what we have heard uh, is, is lining up with Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, he says this to us as believers. He says, I want you to examine yourselves. Examine yourselves and see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. We are called to examine ourselves. And the passage that we're going to look at today in 1 John is about testing the spirits that are at work in this world and making sure that the messages that we're hearing and the things that we are believing are from the Word of God. And, 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 and John's going to remind us of this, but, but Paul says that we also need to be busy testing ourselves, not just testing others. But we really need to look at the scripture today and make sure that our lives are lining up with the scripture, that the things that are supposed to be present in a believer's lives are actually present in our lives. It's easy. It's so easy for all of us to listen to a message and to say, ah, this is for somebody else. I wish oh, so-and-so would have been here today because man, they really needed this message. Paul would say, take the message first of all and apply it to yourselves, and then we can afford to apply it to others. Um, so we are, we are called to examine ourselves, to test ourselves, but then we're also called in First John to test the spirits, to test those that would come preaching and proclaiming uh, the, 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 the Word of God in a way that, uh, that might be contrary to what God has said. I think I shared with you before that I was invited by a friend to uh, visit his church during a revival service and. It was a different denomination than we are, but I was okay with that. And I wanted to go and to, uh, to be there with him and to, to listen to the speaker that they had come in and speak. And, and that night as he began to speak, guys, there was a spirit moving in that place. And, uh, and the more that spirit moved, the more the people seemed to get worked up and, and whipped up almost into a frenzy. And yet nothing that was being said and nothing that was being done was lining up with Scripture. There was a spirit moving in that place, but it was not the spirit of God. There were people there with chill bumps. There were people there with all kinds of experiences that were going on in their lives, but it was not the spirit of God. And, and the next day I saw my friend afterwards and, and he asked me, man, what did you think about the service last night? Did you feel the spirit move? And I said, my friend, I felt the spirit move, but it was not the spirit of God. Not all spirits that move through a place are the Spirit of God. And I began to show him in Scripture how the, that these things were taking place, but Scripture said this, and, and, and this is what I heard, and this is what Scripture said, and, and how that these things didn't line up. And all of a sudden, this like this light bulb came on, and he said, You know, I've always wondered about that we need to have that kind of discernment that we can say, is this of God or is this not? Not does it feel good, not is it exciting, not is it uh, engaging, but is this of God? Is this the the truth? Does it line up with scripture? And so we always bring it back to the word of God. So let's look at first John chapter four. And, and, and there's quite a few verses here that we're going to cover this morning. We're going to try to make our way through the the entire chapter, but uh, it's going to break down into five different areas. And so as we look at first John, uh, we want to see kind of how John talks about in chapter 4 that we are to test these spirits and some practical tests that we can implement to be able to to discern whether what we're seeing and hearing and, and, and being bombarded with is really of the Lord or if it's not. Uh, up to this point, John has given us all the way through the first three chapters, many different examples of contrast of this is what a believer looks like, what a believer does, what a non-believer looks like and what a non-believer does. This is, this is what a, a non-believer may claim, but this is what reality is. And he's contrasted those things all the way through. And now he gets to this point where he said, I've shown you that there's a stark difference between believers and non-believers. Now I want you to test this. I want you to put this to practice and see if this is, is reality for those who are there. Again, the, the Gnostics and, and, and the Judaizers and the others had come in to this church and tried to take away from the, the foundation that had been laid. And John's saying, I need you to go back to the Scriptures, back to the Gospel, and make sure that uh, that you are, are listening to those uh, those truths he 's given us these contrasts not just to have information to put into a file cabinet, but he 's given us this information so that, that they can be indicators of who we can trust and who we can listen to and who we should follow in our faith. So in First John chapter four, he gives us five things to look for, five things that we can examine or test in ourselves, and then we can put others to the test as well. I want to say this up front sometimes when we talk about putting others to the test. We think that our job is to be this Inspector Clouseau, that we are to go and, and, and to, to grill other people and to try to find a hole in themselves or a, a hole in their theology. And, and that's never to be our purpose. The purpose of us examining others is, number one, to make sure that what we're, what we're hearing is really of God. But to make sure if there is a hole there, if there is a, a void there, if there is a misunderstanding there, that we can lovingly communicate the gospel in a way that they can change And that that hole can be filled with truth instead of with error. It's never to embarrass somebody else. It's never to win an argument. It's never to, 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 to feel superior to them. That's not the reason that we are to test other people. It's always to be a constructive process that, that protects us from error, but also helps them to be able to see and understand the gospel in a way that truth breaks through, and it makes a difference in their lives. So as we talk about these things, I want to encourage you first and foremost to look at yourself today and to look and to see if these things are, are actually a part of your life and if they're not then to ask the lord to begin to work those things into your life because this is his desire and his will for each of us so first john chapter four let's kind of get started he says beloved do not believe every spirit so they've got a lot of people coming through town a lot of people preaching gospel a lot of people preaching messages that that may be contrary to the gospel and he's saying i want you to to not just believe every spirit don't be gullible But I want you to test the spirits. Now, when he talks about testing the spirits here, he's talking about that that very thing that is the influence that fills and governs one's soul. So I want you to examine what it is that's, that's beneath the surface, if you will, of this person who's speaking, beneath the surface of your life. Look at your motives. Look at your reasons. Look at why you do what you do. Examine all of those things and see whether they are from God. You say, why would we need to do that? Because, he says, there's many false prophets that have gone out into the world. Now, they're not going to announce themselves as a false prophet. Nobody's going to set foot into your world and say, I am a false prophet and I want you to believe me. What are they going to do? They're going to come in and and pretend to be something that they're not. They're going to come in and pretend to be somebody that you can trust, somebody that you could follow, somebody that you could believe. They're going to pretend to to present to you a gospel that sounds a lot like what you may have heard before, but with just a few modifications. And we need to be careful about that. Look, he says, "and, and test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, and you're going to see this phrase again and again, by this and in this, these are, these are indicators that he's giving us some way to test it, some way to, to prove whether this is really from God or not. By this, he says, there's some things that we can see. So here's the first thing that, that I think John shares with us that we ought to do when we test the spirits. Number one is that we need to look for a biblical view of Jesus. If they are diminishing who Christ is, trying to take away from the work of Christ on the cross, if they're trying to say, well, yeah, you, you need Jesus, but you need Jesus plus something else, then a red flag ought to go off and you ought to go, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. For you and I as believers, we need to ask the question, am I trusting in grace alone or am I trusting in grace plus my works? What am I trusting in for salvation? What, what, is, what is this thing built upon? Am I, I need to look for a biblical view of Jesus. Look at verse 2 and 3 with me. By this, you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now that word confess here, let me, let me break that down. Cause it's not just a verbal confession. Satan and his demons when Jesus was walking on the earth and the demons would come and these men possessed with demons would come and fall before Jesus, the, the, the demons themselves confessed who Jesus is. You're the Son of God. Don't send us into the abyss. Send us into the pigs. They would. The demons themselves would make a verbal profession of who Jesus was and, and they were making it known. They knew who Jesus was. This is not just a, oh yeah, I believe that, that Jesus is uh is jesus that he was a, a a good guy but it, that word confess means to profess oneself to be a worshiper to profess oneself to be a worshiper of so if someone's going to confess jesus they are professing themselves to be this worshiper of jesus christ that is something that no demon would ever do <coughs> no demon will ever profess themselves to be a a worshiper of jesus in fact, Satan went just the opposite way in the, in the temptations with Jesus, didn't he? If you will just bow down and worship me, then everything will be great. And I'll give you all of this stuff that you see. So the first test is this. Is, or, 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 is it a biblical view of who Jesus is? If somebody's coming and talking to you, ask them, who do you see Jesus as being? What's your view of the Son of God? And when they use the name Jesus Christ here, it's not just like my mom using my first name and my middle name. Okay, The the word Christ is is the word for Messiah. That you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the the, the Savior of the world, the one who God sent to redeem His people and to rescue His people from their sins. That's what he's saying. So it's, it's, it's the Spirit that's willing to confess that I'm going to be a worshiper of Jesus as the Messiah, as the Lord, as the rescuer of humanity from sinfulness. Does a person have a biblical view of Jesus? See, demons possess knowledge, but they refuse to submit and to worship Jesus. So don't be fooled by words. Look for the heart beneath the surface and say, is this person's heart yielded to God? Are are they seeking to live for God's glory? Are they seeking to live in such a way that that their life makes known the the, the gospel of Jesus Christ? And and is Jesus the center of, of what they do? Are they submitted to Him? Are they worshiping Him? Are they yielded to Him? Have they made Jesus their Messiah, Savior, and Lord? So we've got to look and and, and see, and John's saying here in verses 2 and 3, that we need to make sure that check every spirit and see if they will confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, who has come in the flesh. He's from God. And he says, and every spirit that does not confess this, does not yield itself to Jesus, is not from God. But this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. So the first thing that we need to do is to look and see if this this person has this biblical view of Jesus. Do they understand, are they willing to confess, or are they trying to diminish who Jesus is? There's a lot of cults out there today that say, I believe Jesus was a good guy. I believe he taught some moral things. I believe that he was a son of God. But they refuse to go where scripture goes to say that Jesus was the only begotten son of God that He was sinless, that He was perfect, that He died an atoning death for your sins and for my sins, and that He was willing to lay down His life willingly in order that we might take up our life and live for Him. And so if we reach a person or a person comes to us with a gospel other than that, that wants to downplay who Jesus is and, and downplay what He was able to do. Or if they even come to you and say, yeah, I believe Jesus was the Son of God, I believe He died on the cross, I believe He was born of the Bible. all that stuff, but you know what? You need Jesus plus you need your works. Or you need Jesus plus you need to join our church. Or you need Jesus plus you need all these other things then when that happens if it's jesus plus anything else that is diminishing jesus you understand that it's saying jesus is not enough when scripture says jesus is more than enough jesus is everything that we need so let your ears be listening test the spirits when they come and if you hear jesus plus then you're going no no that's a that's a low view of jesus because you're saying that what jesus did on the cross was not enough to save me Not enough to rescue me. That what Jesus did was incomplete. Insufficient. So look at what they say about Jesus. Look at what you believe about Jesus. Are you here today because you believe you need Jesus plus church attendance? Or are you here today because you found Jesus and you just want to worship and grow in that relationship with Jesus? A big difference. Big difference. It's not Jesus plus, but it's Jesus. And as a result of Jesus alone, everything else flows out of that. Does that make sense? Second thing, examine your ultimate source of truth. So when you're dealing with others, but also when you're dealing with yourself, what is my ultimate source of truth? Is their worldview built on the word of God or is it built on some other source? You say, how do I know that? Okay. If God's word says it, does that settle it? <laughs> or, or do I read God's word and go, ah, I don't like that part. Ah, that's probably not what he meant. He probably wasn't literally, probably didn't really mean that. I, I think we'll just let that part slide. Okay. When you've got somebody coming to you and they're saying, well, well, yeah, I preach the Bible. Yeah, I teach the Bible. I believe the Bible. Okay. Well, 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 how is it that you believe the Bible, but yet you hold to this belief as well? How do those fit together? You need to make sure what the ultimate source of truth is for that person. And this is where we're getting in, in really deep water with our world today is that our world doesn't seem to have a standard of truth anymore. I just make up something. If I repeat it often enough, then people begin to think, well, maybe it's true because I keep hearing it over and over and over and over again. But I got to go back to the Word of God and say, does this line up with the Word of God? Because for us as believers, the Word of God is our ultimate source of truth. We believe as people of God, that this is God's Word given to us, that it contains no errors, it contains no, no faults, no holes. Everything that we need to know about salvation and about this relationship with God is, is, is right here in the Word of God. And if God says it, then I can take it to the bank. I don't need to, 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 to take God's Word and, and try to figure out how to fit that into sociology and psychology and all these other ologies that are out there. If the Bible says it, then, then, then I've got to, to grab a hold of that and say, this is the ultimate source. This is what's going to determine who I am and what I do in life. Because this is the, the spoken Word of God that was given to us. So what is the ultimate source of... of, of uh, of authority in, in your life. In verses four through six, he says, Little children, you are from God, and you've overcome these false prophets, he's saying. For, for he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. They are from the world, and therefore they speak from the world. That's their perspective. Have you ever thought about this? Why does a lost person believe what a lost person believes? Because they've yet to come to understand the truth. Why does our world behave the way our world behaves? Because our world has yet to meet Jesus and have their hearts changed by Him. I can't fault them for that. That's where I lived, before Christ found me. It's where every one of us lived, that we looked at last week about the veil that covers their eyes, and until that veil is lifted, we can't see clearly the truth of the gospel. It's why that God has to draw us in order for us to come to salvation because we can't find God apart from his work in our heart, uh, his work of grace in our heart and in our lives. And so we we look and say, What's the ultimate authority? He's saying here, these these guys are are from the world and therefore they speak from the world. They're, They're telling you all that they know. And the world listens to them. It makes sense to the world. But we are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So we look at this, he says, and we examine the ultimate source of truth. What are they building their worldview around? Is it just the wisdom of this world, the God of this age? Or are they building their worldview upon Scripture? That's what we've got to look at and say, okay, what's your ultimate source? Well, why do you believe what you believe? Well, scientists have proven. Really? Now, the truth of God's Word is going to pan out in, in, in science. But there's a lot of stuff that's put out there as science that's not science and it's not true. There's a lot of things that are taught that don't line up with Scripture. And so now I've got the choice between, do am I going to believe science or am I going to believe Scripture? Am I going to believe church tradition? scripture I still remember when I interviewed here 30 years ago it's been a long time I said to our church then to those that were were interviewing me I said if there ever comes a time where I've got to choose between being Baptist and being biblical I want to be biblical and if there's part of Baptist faith that doesn't line up with the Bible then I don't want to embrace that and if you're looking for somebody just to be the good Baptist I'm probably not your guy We've always, listen, nothing else can be an authority in our life the way Scripture can be. I don't care what Mama said or Daddy said or Grandparents said or what you've heard all your life or what you read on Facebook. Lord, help us. If it doesn't line up with Scripture, we can't hang on to it. What's the ultimate authority? He's saying the world, they just speak from the world. There, there are people in this world that cannot believe that we as Christians can love unconditionally. Why do you just keep loving me? I've told you to get lost because that's what Scripture's told me to do. Why do you keep serving people that never serve you back? Why do you keep giving when nobody gives back to you? Because that's what scripture calls us to do. Why do you keep loving that person that stabs you in the back? Because that's what God's word says I'm supposed to do. And By the way, that's what I see that my savior did again and again and again. What's the ultimate authority? The world just speaks from it's 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 the world. And I don't mean this in a, in a condescending way, please. But all the world's got to go on is what they can see. And, and God has not yet opened everybody's eyes of faith to see the whole picture. The world is walking around with this veil over their eyes, and, and all they can see is, is what 's right there and that 's all that makes sense and that 's all that that 's only tools they 've got to try to figure out what 's going on in this world and so they use those limited tools to try to make sense of what 's going on in the world, but they they can 't and so the world just follows its leader and, and the leader of this world is Satan, and that brings them in in sharp contrast to to the Word of God. In John chapter eight, verses forty two to forty five, Jesus is confronting those that are confronting him. And he says in verse forty two, Jesus said in John eight, forty two, If God were your father, then you would love me. For I came from God and, and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks, listen to this, he speaks out of his own character. The NIV says he speaks his native tongue. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue. Speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and he is the father of lies. And because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Jesus knew that without God opening the eyes of the blind, they would never see. In a spiritual sense, if God doesn't open our eyes, we never see spiritual truth. And so we've got to examine their ultimate source. We shouldn't expect the world to just jump up and down with joy when we, when we share the gospel with them because it doesn't make sense to them just yet. God's got to prepare their heart and open up their heart so that the gospel can take root. When a believer lives by God's word, they're going to live a life that's going to be in stark contrast to the lives that are built on some other philosophy and some other source of authority. God's ways only make sense to those who by faith have been able to trust in God's word. So the third thing that he warns us and, and gives us as a test is to look for evidence of agape love. Look for evidence of agape love. There's three different types of love that scripture mentions. There's the, the eros love, which is a Greek word that, that we would get our word erotic from. It's a sensual love. It's a love that tends to excite us. It could be a sexual type thing or, or just something that gets us super excited. That love can quickly turn into this self-gratifying type love if we're not careful. Uh, much of what the, the, the world that we live in portrays as love is this level of, of eros, this, this erotic type love. That, that love is something that you fall into. Love is something that is irresistible. Love is something that, that I see the woman and I've got to have her. I'm in love. And it's an erotic type of exciting type of, of love, if you will. Uh, much of what the world portrays as love is simply that level of of eros. The second level of love would be this phileo love. We get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love from that. It's a brotherly love, and it's kind of a mutual type love, if you will. I will love you if you will love me. I will serve you if you will serve me. I will be nice to you and you be nice to me. It's, 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 it's this kind of brotherly love that, that we share with one another. It's, it's the love that, that in, in many senses that we have even here in church where we, we have brothers and sisters in Christ that, that we love and, and that we would do anything for. And we believe they would do anything for us. It's that brotherly type love. But there's a third type of love, and that's the word that John uses here, and it's the word agape. It's this unconditional love that originates with God, that's only available, I believe, for, for those who are in relationship with God. It's the love that God has poured out on us that we then take and pour out on others. It's this unconditional love that's focused upon the need of the other person. It's, it's a love that says, I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm going to love you even though you may be undeserving, even though you, you, you could never earn this kind of love. I bestow this love upon you because it's who I am. It's, it's, it's how God's wired me. It's what God's created me to do. I love you no matter what. Even if you refuse to love me back, I love you. Even if you never understand this love, I still love you. Even if you tell me to get lost, my love for you will not cease. He says, "Look for that kind of love. It's evidence." Now, see, here's here's a cool thing: the world is getting good at eros. <laughs> okay. And the world can even rise maybe to the level of this, this phileo, this, this brotherly love. I'll scratch your back, you scratch my back. We'll, we, we got each other's back. We will, we will do battle together. We will work together. We will help each other. We will be nice to each other. We will do that because why? It benefits me, it benefits you, and we can get farther together that way. The world can even do that. But the world cannot, cannot offer agape love. Because the world apart from Christ has not yet received that. And you cannot give what you have not received. Now this love is being poured out upon them, but to, to this point they've yet to admit that they need it. They've yet to admit that they, that they are, 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 are absent of it. And so that love is there. Jesus on the cross dies and Jesus doesn't say, I, I'm going to die for you if you'll love me. He says, I'm dying for you anyway. Whether you ever respond to me or not, I am dying for you serving you i came for you i do even if you spit in my face and tell me to get lost i'm going to continue to love you because that's what jesus does and that's the kind of love that we are to have And we are to look for evidence of this agape love in, in in ourselves and we need to look for it in others i need to ask myself the question why do i love people do i love people for what they can give back to me do I love you because you give me accolades? Do I love you because you say, "Oh, that was a great message"? Do I love you because you, you 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 can offer me something back, or do I love you even if you never did? How do you love your enemy, or do you? Because agape love loves even its enemy. That's a big test. That doesn't come natural. Agape love is a supernatural thing that only can happen as God has dwelt in us and He has worked through us. This agape love is foreign to our world. It originates with God, and I believe it's only known and and given away by God's children. It's experienced and offered by those who've experienced it from the Lord. And Until a person receives this kind of love, I don't believe they're able to give this kind of love. So I think our our world kind of hits its head on this, this, the ceiling and it can't get to this level that we're talking about. And so because of that, John says, if you find agape love, guess what? You're finding a brother in Christ because the world can't get there on its own. It's a mark of what it means to be a true believer. It's not that I just try harder and harder and harder to love people. But it's a mark of somebody who the Spirit of God has moved into and their their hearts have been transformed and they can love people like nobody else can love them. Why? Because God's doing that work in their heart. So it's an indicator of God's presence. And he says, look for it." verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love, let us agape one another. For agape is from God. And whoever agapes has been born of God, and he knows God. He's been saved, and he's got this intimate fellowship with God. And anyone who does not agape does not know God, because God is this kind of love. In this, the love of God was made manifest, was made known. God's love was made known to us through Jesus being this love incarnate, if you will. God's love was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world. What, what better demonstration of agape love than God sending his only son to die for sinners who couldn't save themselves, who may never, ever turn and respond to this love of God. What greater sign and, 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 and proof of that kind of love than God sending his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the full payment of our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected. It is matured in us. As we grow in Christ, this agape love that only he can bring to us ought to be growing in us as well. It ought to be growing in our relationships with those around us. You ever met a Christian that just seems mad at the world? I mean, they want to stand up and tell everybody they're going to hell and, 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 and seem to take great joy in just doing that. And you ask yourself, where is the love in that? They may be speaking truth, but where is the love in the way that they do that? In this passage, he's saying, man, this agape love, because it's something that only God can give, that only those of us in, in relationship with God can experience and then offer because of that, it's a sign that, that, that we belong to the Lord and that we are his. It's an indicator that, uh, that we belong to him. So if you find agape love, then you know that person's from the Lord. If you find a person that's broken over the lostness of a child, the lostness of a neighbor, lostness of a nation, and, and they're not excited that the world's going to hell, but they are broken that today somebody else died without Jesus. It's an, a sign, it's a sign of, of agape love, a sign of a love that Jesus has for us. Look for agape love. Another test, number four, is look for this kindred spirit. You ever walked into a room of people you, you don't even know yet? and you began to meet a few people, and all of a sudden there's just something about that person that you go, oh, this is a kindred spirit. This is something. And they may not have even gotten to the point of telling you about their relationship with Jesus, but you can see the agape love. You can feel that. You can, you can sense that, that, that they speak from the authority of God's word, that their life is, is, a, is, a, is you just look at it and you go, it's got to be a brother in Christ. It's got to be a sister in Christ. He says, look for that kindred spirit. It's more than just a goosebumpy feeling, though. It's a person in whom the spirit of God dwells. And his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And, and we meet other people that are believers in Christ. And, and there is something that happens that takes place that knits your heart with that person in a way that it's not knit with other people out there who don't have that same spirit. There's a work that the Holy Spirit does that that, that that allows us to trust, that allows us to move into relationship with another, that allows us to, to go, you know what, we share. We may not believe everything identical, but we share a kindred spirit. And we both have this desire inside of us to submit ourselves to the Lord, to follow the Lord, to obey the Lord, to glorify the Lord, to honor the Lord. There is this common thing, and we may come at it from different angles, but there's this thing that we share in common that we both want to make much of Jesus. And in that process... You find that kindred spirit. You know that believers are not perfect, that they are a work in progress, but you see there's that desire in them to be more like Jesus. Just like you, when they fall short, they are broken and they are repentant. Many times these folks with a kindred spirit will talk more about their faults than they will about their strengths because they're very in touch with who they are in Christ and they know that apart from Him, they could do nothing. They're they're not fighting against God, but they're fighting for the things of God. They're fighting to become more holy. Now, I don't mean they're fighting in their flesh. But I mean, there's something in their spirit that just desires more of God, that desires to be more godly, to be more holy, to to, to be holy, to be sanctified, to be surrendered. Those are all things that are the works of God's grace. They're not accomplished in our our own strength, but they, they come as we surrender more of ourselves to the Lord, and God is able to purify out of our lives those sinful things so that there's just left this more and more of a pureness of our faith. Verses 13 through 18 talks about this kindred spirit. He says, but we know, or by this we know, that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. He's placed his spirit within us. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. That's going back to the first thing we just talked about. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God and God abides in Him and, and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us and, and God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. And by this love, by this is love perfected with us. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also we, so also are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Here's what he's trying to say. When we encounter these people, we sense in them and we see in them God's Spirit at work. They display this agape love that we've talked about. They testify to the goodness of God's grace. Their focus is not on making much of themselves, but upon making much of God. And, and His presence inside of them does not require a performance. They can just be real. Isn't it refreshing when you meet a believer who is just real? They have nothing to prove because everything's been taken care of on the cross. They have nothing to fear because Jesus has covered all of their sins, past, present, and future. And they can just be real about who they are. They can be real about their struggles. They can be real about the victories that God has given to them because they know it was not them that won that victory, but it was God that gave that to them. God's presence in their life becomes obvious in three ways. It's the conviction, he says here in verse 14, that, that Jesus is the Savior of the world. They are convinced that, that he is the Savior. Not a Savior, but the Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life. That no man comes to the Father except through Jesus. And they believe that. And, and you sense that in them. You gain that from conversation with them. And, and, and your hearts are knit together because you know that they're trusting in the same grace that you're trusting in. The second thing is that they proclaim it to others. We don't just see it, but we testify to others, he says in verse 14. We testify that Jesus is the Son of God. We confess that Jesus is the Son of God, that that He abides in us and that we abide in Him. And we come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us and that this love is incredible beyond words. It's a proclamation to others because this message of grace that we have received is a message too great for us to hold on to. It's a message that we've got to proclaim to others. When you meet somebody and the first thing they want to talk about is how great they are, something's wrong. Our message ought to be about Jesus and how great he is. It ought to be about what Jesus has done the despair that He has pulled us out of and the life that He has planted us into, the hope that we have in the resurrection and the second coming of Jesus. The third thing is this assurance that God's grace is enough to cover my sins. Perfect love, cast out all fear. I don't have to be afraid that I might not measure up because the truth is I don't measure up. And if God is looking at my measuring cup, I'm going to be short. But he's looking at Jesus. And Jesus is my righteousness. And so I don't have to perform. And I don't have to pretend. The fifth thing that we look for, the fifth test, if you will, of whether this person is of the Lord or whether we are of the Lord or not, ought to be this. We ought to look for the outpouring of the inpouring Of God's love. Look for the outpouring of the inpouring of God's love and and God's grace. Here's what I mean we as Christians were never meant to be containers of God's love, we were meant to be conduits of God's love. God's love was meant to flow into us, to change us, and then to flow out of us to the world around us. Jesus says, by this will all men know that you are my disciples. By what? Your love for one another. Not your capacity to hold the love of God, but your capacity to love one another. We were not intended by God to be containers. Okay, God, just fill me up. No, God, let your love flow in me, do a work in me, and then flow outward to this world that needs to see that love as well. We, we love, he says in verse 19 and 20 and 21, we love because he first loved us. Look at this, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment that we have from him, again, his commandment is our authority. His commandment is our desire. His commandment is what we live to accomplish. This is his commandment that we have from him, that whoever loves God must also love his brother. So the, 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 the sign that we belong to him, the sign that others belong to him, is that this love is, 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 is flowing through us. We're not containers, but we are conduits of God's love and God's grace. What he has poured out upon us, we seek to pour out in the lives of those around us. For us to say that we love God without loving our brother, he said, is simply a lie. So as believers, we are committed to God's word. We are indwelt by God's spirit. We are infused with God's love. And we will love others with the love that he has given to us. Not only does God command that, but God empowers that. He enables that to happen in your life and in my life. And so we become conduits of his love, not just containers. We are constantly receiving God's grace and receiving God's love, and we are continually pouring that love out onto those around us. So let me ask you as we close today, how do you measure up? I'm not asking you how anybody else out there measures up, and I'm not trying to measure you up. I'm asking you this morning, if the Spirit of God were to take this deep look into your heart, would he find these five things there? Do you have a heart that worships and submits itself to Jesus as your Messiah, as your Lord? Is God's Word your ultimate source of truth? Are you constantly displaying this agape love to the world around you? Do you find that you share a kindred spirit with other believers who are walking with God? You know, there's some people who profess to be believers that when they get around a true believer, get really uncomfortable. I feel threatened. That guy walks with Jesus so much, I just feel threatened. There ought to be a kindred spirit that's there. And and fifth, are you a conduit of God's love? Or simply just trying to be a container of God's love? Here's the deal. John calls us to test the spirits. But guys, until we test ourselves and we make sure that the spirit that's in us is really of God, we're not going to make an accurate assessment of anybody else. Jesus says, take the log out of your own eye before you get busy trying to take a speck out of somebody else's eye. We've got to start by examining ourselves and saying, Lord, are these things really in me? Am I just loving my brothers so that they'll love me back and I'll feel good about myself? Or am I really loving them even if they spit in my face and tell me to get lost? When somebody hurts me, do I hold that against them forever or do I go back and try to love them even better than I loved them before? True test of love is not how you give it to those who love you back. True test of love is what you do when there's no love given back in return. Agape love does that. So we examine ourselves first. We get the log out of our own eyes. And then as we encounter those around us and their messages begin to bombard us, We examine and say, what is the spirit behind that message? Is that the spirit of God? Or is that the spirit of Satan? And we accept or we reject it based upon that assessment. We don't push that person away, but we certainly don't embrace that message that they're trying to to place upon us. And again, our examination of others is never to embarrass, never to alienate, It's there to protect us, and it's there to help us to know how to serve them and love them even better. So I pray that as we wrap it up today, that you will take a moment to let the Lord look at your heart and your life. Um, If you're like me, there's going to be areas of this that that you may say, you know what, I've I've got that going in the right direction. Not perfect, but but we're making progress. But there's other areas that I look at and I go, Lord, we really need to, to examine that closer. I need to take a closer look, and I need you to, to do some real work there to move me to this place that I need to be so that I represent you better so that you can use me for your glory. So let's pray together. And wherever you're at in this process this morning, I pray that you would just be honest with God. Uh, he sees it. He knows it. You're not going to fool him. Uh, the only fool in the room would be you, so don't, don't do that. Let's pray.